Welcome back to Tune It Over. Another uh, another day, another experience in the, the loudness of that intro music. It comes in hot, doesn't it? And the amount of people that have been in touch saying, it's good, but I have to turn the volume down so suddenly from the beeps. Uh, but yeah, thanks for joining me on a Friday. It should be a fun show. Thanks a lot for Ian Griffiths coming on yesterday. Loads of great feedback from that. Had a great chat about all things uh, contentions in podiatry, and it, su- it was super current, and so that's what this show should be about, is reacting to things as they happen. Uh, so yeah, I hope you're having a good Friday. Got a few interesting topics that we're going to chew over today, namely one that I missed out on talking about yesterday, which is this idea of, uh, is it safe to run with bad form? It sort of kicked off between Michael Boyle and Greg Lehman on, on Twitter. Uh, over the last few days and so it was well worth me just weighing in on that and seeing what your thoughts were but before um, i get stuck into that the second topic is something i really want your opinion on it's been uh, jack march and and kieran mcmahon mcmahon oh, sorry kieran I'm, I'm mispronouncing your surname probably getting it completely wrong there but we're talking about what are the three pieces of kit that uh, a contemporary msk clinic should have and um, it was a great question i'll, I'll give my opinion uh, in a little while but i want if you can start with that um, if you're going to pass some comments wherever you might be reaching this, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever it might be, post your comments, hopefully they'll reach me. Um, and I'd be interested in your thoughts. What are the three pieces of kit that uh, that are essential or would be, if you could only have three pieces of kit in your clinic, what would they be? And I'm not meaning bed, desk, computer, that sort of thing. Uh, be a bit more creative than that. But what would be what would be the, the ones with that gym kit or if you're still using modalities or, or, or gadgets, then let me know because we're going to get there. And then finally, I'm going, to talk, I'm going to highlight a couple of organizations that I feel have been doing incredible work, particularly over the um, recent times. You know, it's been complex, been all sorts of messy things going on in and around COVID. And let's be fair, uh, some organizations have gone quite, and others have uh, really stepped up and, and the, the, the adults have come to the party and really helped, helped us all in practice. And there's a couple that have been really uh, decent in that space have opinions as to uh, who deserves a shout out on there then of course comment on that but prioritize the three pieces of kit that you think are essential i'd be really interested in your thoughts so let me get stuck into this uh, form thing <coughs> what happened was there was a tweet uh, by a strength and conditioning coach i hadn't heard of until until recently um who'd said um that 90 percent of people that are out running should be walking instead because their the, their form makes him uh, feel queasy or something it was like speed limping hashtag speed limping and it was this notion that that, that was therefore somehow unsafe or, or was going to do him some mischief and obviously i mean i got like got flagged to me because greg layman had said what a judgmental tweet it was and um obviously the the underlying premise is that that was somehow something they shouldn't be doing because it's either unsafe for them to do or it's not going to actually get them the goal you know, help them reach the goals that they're aiming for we all know Greg's opinion. If you don't, then do check out his um, couple of Physio Matters podcasts he's done, as well as various other things he's published in, in lots of different places uh, about his opinions on the fact that biomechanics aren't as uh, causally relevant to symptoms or development of pathology as we used to think, and that you can adapt. Um, it's it's sort of a robust, robustness model of which he preaches. And it was therefore massively in contention with it. And so he was then picking up the fact that there's the benefits of exercise are going to outweigh any any dangers or damages uh, that c- could occur from from poor form, and they were just clearly disagreeing and talking past each other. You know, that's one of the big things I want to highlight is that there's nothing productive that came of it, in part because they've just got such differing worldviews, and they just couldn't believe they were sort of flabbergasted at each other for 
just how opposed they were to each other's positions. And so they just it was struggling to speak the same language. You've got a strength coach who just finds it bizarre that a physio would infer that running form matters as, li as little as Greg was suggesting. And then you've got Greg that just can't believe just how judgmental someone would be to suggest that actually it's better for someone to walk rather than run um, because of their form. It, it, so they're just struggling to, to really engage with each other because of uh, talking past each other and, and a bit of animosity that seemed to be there. So that's a shame. Now, one of the things that I've visited recently, and I did a, a what was of the same name really, but I do a chewing it over feature on therapistlearning.com, um, which is where I discuss biomechanics in the first episode of that. I've got a manual therapy one on soon, which is kind of a webinar format where I take a bit of a deeper dive into a principal topic before this daily show was called the same name. And I talk a little bit about the fact that sometimes contentions occur in biomechanic terms where what would you do in absence of data to the contrary? And so it's kind of like, does some people would say that leave something alone uh, as standard if there's no evidence to the contrary that we should be changing someone's mechanics. And then others would say that in absence of data to the contrary, we should be then aspiring to a sense of coach normal. And, and that what we would, would suggest as being sort of how optimal mechanics have been considered over time, that should be the starting off point unless we have data to the contrary. In this instance, I don't think it's quite as subtle as that. I think it is just the fact that the a contemporary therapy uh, fraternity would be interfering less with someone's form if they're not injured, especially. Uh, and then a coaching fraternity, something that their bread and butter is for them to sort of run some interference, at least on some of those variables. And so you've just got two people speaking a bit of a different language, which is a massive shame. My opinion, I mean, I'm a massive Greg Lehman fan declared and my bias is in that direction, not just because it's Greg saying it, but because, you know, it's something that those principles and the heuristic of which he's using to think logically about that is something that I just thought wholeheartedly agree with uh, it doesn't mean that me and greg don't disagree on some subtleties i once tried to disagree with him on air and it turned out i was mistaken and we didn't disagree so it was hilarious but as a general rule the principle of the fact that these things aren't your destiny and these things are unlikely to um to really be causing issues so poor form and therefore the mechanics meaning that the forces that are created are therefore inducing injury which is kind of what's being inferred by the suggestion that form can be unsafe and that someone that goes out for a jog and they're running what would be considered textbook badly or not optimally in, a, in an efficiency sense whatever it might be might be then predisposing someone to injury hugely contentious and literature just hasn't strengthened our thoughts in that direction and it's Greg, as well as many others. Ben Cormack is, you know, another hero of mine in that space. Um, sort of speaking openly about the fact that some of the long thought norms around that are often just dogma, and um, and so it takes for a more subtle analysis than than we were hearing uh, from the other side of it uh, to really challenge that. I think it's a recent reasonable starting off point is to think don't run interference unless we have data to the contrary and that tends to be my typical opinion i'm interested in what yours would be uh, excuse me <coughs> <coughs> sorry uh, but what i asked you to concentrate on was my second point which was this idea of what is the um you know, so those that are just tuning in i'm asking what are the three pieces of kit that are essential to a contemporary msk practice um so i mean it's some that are total, totally a given of course um, which is ultrasound machine uh, therapeutic ultrasound of course uh, machine that goes bing that'd be number two and then the third one being of course a traction table so i want to see if you disagree with that that's obviously my go-to um but also don't be shy to give your opinions on that first piece which is about 
running form, you know, how, how much does it matter? Now, just to make sure that I'm clear here, I think there are instances, two key instances where it matter. I think in terms of optimal performance and me metabolic features, I think it's something that we need to know more about, but I bet, I bet when the data comes in, I bet it matters. Um, we've all got examples um, of, of, of what would be considered suboptimal biomechanics doing well in a performance sense at the high, high levels. Um, Usain Bolt, Paula Radcliffe's uh, head bobbing, uh, Gabriel Salas's uh, massive uh, inversion uh, on foot strike, etc. So I'm not doubting that, and I'm not suggesting that they would be faster if they run differently and stuff, and these are individual quirks. But what I'm meaning is, as, as runners, uh, particularly uh, at higher performance levels, there must be something that means that why um, there is a fluency and an aesthetic beauty that sometimes subjectively there's this sort of je ne sais quoi that comes from some a lot of elite athletes running that are, are running well. The performance, I think it's metabolic efficiency sort of stuff, but I just that that's a def different conversation to the injury one and the injury risk one, I think. Um, although there's you know, some great work that, that gets done talking about those those um, those points and no doubt will come up at Therapy Live Triathlon so make sure you get your ticket for that if I need to shoehorn that in. Uh, the second thing is that when someone has an injury that seems to be being influenced by that running form to some extent or by tinkering with it as a, as a mechanism of adjusting their form for, for a period of time in order for them to recover, be that for uh, shortening their foot strike on running or changing the way in which their stroke rate and uh, breathing style in swimming, for example. These are, these are examples where I'll, I'll stick to running for the sake of this, but it's just that if you're changing that and it helps with someone's symptoms and keeps them running and then you, but, but that's the thing is that that's not me changing or improving their form necessarily in a, in a, in a specific sense. That's me adjusting their form, much like a symptom modification, modification technique. And then my disposition and style would be that then once they're recovered, you phase them back to being the relaxed athlete running as they run. Even if that would be, and, and then if that then regresses their injury or they keep recurring that injury, then there's a conversation to be had about different styles. Or sometimes I'll have a runner that has two or three different cues that they would use, especially over ultra run, uh, that they might use interchangeably to distribute forces slightly differently across their body to manage injuries um, and, and stress reactions or tendon problems and things. So I'm not averse to it. It's just that, that what was being contended in this instance was this notion that there's a bad form that someone who you don't know, these are strangers running around the street that are running badly and that we would correct for that. I'm uncomfortable about that. And so was Greg and I understand why. And unfortunately the conversation broke down, but if either of those two want to join me to unpack that a little bit more, I will get in touch with them both and, uh, and, and get them on the show, of course, which has been going really well for having guests on. Uh, Ian Griffiths on yesterday. Check that out if you haven't. Brilliant points around orthoses and a recent paper in BGSM about the use of orthoses in treating plantar fascia pain. So do not miss that if you if you have. Um, so I've got some great comments coming in. Let's have a little look what people think about those two first topics. Gemma, she's been cheeky straight out the gates. She said three pieces of kit that are essential, compassion, empathy, and ability to be a human being. Of course, you know, I agree with that, Gemma, but you know full well that that's not what I'm meaning. We need pieces of kit. I want some gadgets, gizmos. She has then answered more seriously with floor space. So not being cramped into a room, you need some space to move, some form of weights, anything for the individual, big or small, and a mirror, building confidence, acknowledging change and visualization. That's really interesting. I hadn't really thought of a mirror, but that's a good one. Thanks a lot for that, Gem. Really appreciate it. And I just certainly agree with those first two. Would they meet my top three? I don't know. I think maybe one of them would. I only thought floor space is a bit of a given. Uh, so I was cheating and probably hiding from that. 
Um, so Nikki, <laughs> Nikki's posted ears and hands. Yes, I don't know if we can call them pieces of kit. You know what I'm getting at. You've been cheeky, uh, but thanks for that. That's brilliant. Um, so what I've got is <laughs> oh, these are this is on the form stuff. Ollie likes to well, he, he runs like a one-legged penguin. He's been uninjured for three months. Yeah, well, that's the thing. The correlation is important, isn't it? Um, so what I want to uh, I want to try and get is whether the comments are coming in. If you can give me some uh, some tips, like Jem did when she answered, I want to know what your opinion is uh, and post it wherever you're finding this. At the moment, it looks like I'm getting some questions and comments coming in on Facebook. But if you're on Periscope or Instagram or YouTube, then please do check that in. Check that in. I know that there's a few. She uh, tells me that a few of you are tuned in there. So if you've got some opinions on what the top three pieces of kit would be, my opinion. I'm parking the floor space one. It's a good one from Gemma, but I'm going to park that as being a bit of a given that you've got some space. That's more of a facilities thing. Actual pieces of equipment, I would say that a, and I'm going to try and make it as versatile as I can, but the, the, the a version of a squat rack or a multi-gym type thing of which you can squat in um, has been massively valuable. We've got a really cracking one from Primal that folds out, that doesn't take up that much space, and you squat and deadlift. It's also got a um, top and bottom rack for uh, put, you put the plates on rather than it having built-in plates, but essentially a, a multi-gym that does an awful lot for us. But having something like that, lifting platform for want of a better thing as well as a frame and a rack and things like that i think he's just hugely valuable particularly for what we see in private practice with uh, being linked to, to various different gyms hit gyms crossfit gyms as well as then sport um, weightlifting clubs even and other sports teams want to load people up and sometimes having the safe parameters to do that and to not have to worry too much about it getting scattered it contains it and, and that is really valuable and i'd actually put that right up there as number one the weights of which that are attached to that uh, I, I don't think it's fair for me to lump them in but certainly if i was being more particular on weights then i do find kettlebells to be particularly useful for all different patients from simulating a shopping bag uh, through to, to to people doing turkish get-ups you know it's something that i find to be really valuable and then the third thing I would say is, of course, a Pilates reformer. Um, no, okay, I'm joking. Um, no, I think that just on the squat rack thing is that when I've been at shows whereby you tell someone you're, you're at a fitness show and you tell people that you're um, a physio, they just immediately say, oh, we've got this brilliant new reformer. And they go, well, they walk past all the brilliant gym kit and go to that. And it just fascinates me that that's how we're associated. And I just think that that's, uh, that's a real shame. Ollie Coburn. He's agreed with me, look, squat rack, barbell, very versatile, kettlebells, his number two, same as mine as well, and he's put weights, bench, I'm not sure. Paul, how are you doing, mate? You all right? I've got, I've got an iso-insertional flywheel kinet one. <laughs> you see, I don't even know what that is. I mean, I'm going to be Googling that afterwards. Um, so post links, Paul, if you can on there, because I'm, I'm interested in what that is. Squat harness used with weight wheels. And then, is there a three? I can't see a three. Oh, three, sorry squat harness used with and then the weight wheels <coughs> oh it sounds like we're in agreement me ollie and paul especially on two and three there but yeah i'm intrigued uh, i need to know what that's uh flywheel kind of that sounds fancy as a gadget i'm interested um so post links paul i'll share that that'll be interesting to see uh any other comments and questions please do get them in i best declare mine my, my number three um my number three in our gym um, would be an air conditioner. And I'm not, I'm serious. We've got so many patients that say my favorite piece of kit in your gym is an air conditioner. Um, 
I know it counts almost as weight, but I would say number three, if I was saying kettlebells, if I was forced in number two, but medicine balls. I just think that I just think they're they're brilliant. They're just, having an awkward weight as well as something you can sort of throw and catch, and even rugby players passing it off and stuff like that. I just find it just I do find myself using medicine balls, especially like a drill whereby you get them doing a box sit and then throwing as they as they throw. Uh, uh, throwing it as they stand and stuff i find myself using a lot of med balls and i really do enjoy that as obviously i'm rehab centric in my practice i could totally understand that there's many people that see a lot of tendon patients and their style of care is to deliver uh, shockwave and other modalities and stuff that they'd be saying that that would be essential to their practice um blood flow restriction specialists if they're in a conditioning specific gym you can so understand why they'd be using stuff like that so um you know, I'd be all ears if people feel like, yeah, well, I couldn't practice an MSK clinic without a shockwave machine or a laser or, you know, if someone's seen predominantly hand clinic and you understand they may be using laser still. Uh, I'd be suspicious if people were still saying, like I joked about at the start, therapeutic ultrasound, traction table and a Pilates reformer, then it's a very different practice to mine. Um, but equally, I'm all ears to hear if you want to make a case for that. Got a comment here from YouTube. Barbell, Prowler, like a sled. Yeah, I love them. They're great. Uh, and sandbags we don't have a prowler in our gym and one of the things that i'll give you as uh, w- when i get the, the rugby players and stuff where i need, do need them to push in some load and stuff then i get a gym ball between us and they have to push me back off i mean it's difficult they're often much stronger than me but basically they've just got to back me off across the gym it's not quite the same uh, don't get me wrong but that's been decent for those of you that don't have a prowler like we don't um although i do love that exercise just don't have quite the room for it or uh, putting a track through the gym and stuff we've just decided not to um but yeah do agree and sandbags yeah again just asymmetric load are probably some similar reasons to what i'm describing with the medicine balls so now, Mike's being cheeky like Gemma and Nikki were earlier. Three, three essential pieces, time, imagination, and patience. You, you're coming across as a hippie, all of you. Of course, we'll talk about that another time. Maybe next week we'll do three key values or, or principles or whatever. But no, I want gadgets, I want gizmos, I want kit. So stop being cheeky. Phil Harris, thanks for joining us. Spent the summer on a TRX using body weight only. It was great for refining technique, increasing and decreasing challenges. Going to be using it for patients more. It sometimes takes for you to use a piece of kit more yourself to realize just how versatile it is. And uh, so, yeah, TRX, we've got one in the gym. It's quite handy, isn't it? Um, especially for some, I mean, it's good for sort of uh, uh, squat jumps and we use it for, for sort of rowing style, style movements and stuff. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. So I'm glad that's uh, that's in there. Uh, if you haven't checked it out already or you're, you're listening to this in another another place, then I haven't checked it out yet, but Paul's kindly shared the link to kind of, I mentioned before about what the, he put it as his number one piece of kit in clinic. And I've, um, I'm have i looking at that and didn't know what it was. So he's posted that link as I asked for it. So that's great. Thanks for that, Paul. Um, there's also, yeah, um, he's mentioned there the smart cuffs. That's for the the uh, blood flow restriction stuff uh, we're going to be sharing more information about that no doubt uh, with paul in coming months and stuff to find out a bit more about it something that um if your style of care and conditioning is is using that a lot then you need a, a set of kit a piece of kit that you you know and trust and so yeah do check that out i'll be doing so and we'll be talking more about that so keep them coming in also some opinions coming through with regards to 
form and its relationship with injury um, off the back of the spat between Lehman and Boyle on on Twitter. Ollie Coburn, uh, the first first chewing it over guest, uh, uh, was it earlier this week or last week? Performance and injury are very different. Ask any coach. It matters for performance more at the top end. For injury, load is king. You can run poorly with appropriate load and have no issues. I'd love to try and disagree with him, but I don't think I can there. I do, I do think so. I think I suppose one thing is that I'm still on the fence with regards to performance. I can comprehend it high end. As I mentioned, metabolic efficiency and stuff like that, I can understand it more. But but generally, um, I, th- I still think it can be quite contentious to some people make some claims in your performance level where they might be injured and they say, well, I'm not wanting to change my form because of injury, but I'm just aspiring to it because of performance. If they change it quite quickly and they become injured, I, I get suspicious. Not because I think it's caused it, but because there's principles of load distribution. And if someone's changing their stride or gr- grossly changing their natural form, it often comes with a real, almost a really thoughtful, um, it takes for a lot of intense thinking in a way. And um, I'm concerned about that. I think if you give someone some basic cues and it's actually something that they can integrate fairly easily, that's one thing. But when you give someone quite a high cognitive load to change their technique as they're doing anything, not just in running, but especially in, I see it in, like, in racket sports and stuff, if you've got incredibly talented athletes that love what they're doing and stuff, and then they get some really specific overcoached change to their backhand technique, it just completely seems to just change their fluency and flow in such a way that can be really disruptive. And then they seem to come in with injuries, not probably um, not directly consequential, but certainly there could be some side effects to the fact that they're holding themselves tense. It's stressing them out. They're not enjoying their game. It might be something that they're therefore not getting that sporting release that they normally do, did because they're trying to move better. Now, I can understand in those instances why you want to do stuff for performance, but don't underestimate if you're coaching as well as a therapist, then don't underestimate the sort of sequelly downstream of what you're doing. Um, and that is one that I see an awful lot of. Um, changing things for good reason, it doesn't necessarily mean there aren't some consequences down the line. And so just be, being thoughtful in that direction, at least accounting for it is important if you're in a coaching setting. And then in therapies, working with your coaches and getting a good relationship with them or if you're like many are these days you know your therapist that leans into coaching on certain sports and techniques and stuff then just bear that in mind i'm sure you would be um i think what what i'd be interested in as well and i'd love you guys' thoughts on this is the blurring of the lines between therapist and coach like i i describe it as good coaching good therapy is good coaching but what i'm meaning here is in a sporting context whether you'd start to to offer some performance related goal setting and and, and how much experience you need in that space as a therapist so i'd be really interested in that um i want to know uh that in part because we've got a panel on it at therapy live triathlon you know where the, the blurring of the lines and the distinctions that are necessary between coaches and therapists. And I don't mean in terms of style, you know, I'm not talking about coaches, a therapist behaving like coaches in a style manner. I'm actually meaning in terms of in, in, in a sporting context, the coaches and therapists working together is one thing, but the blurring of the lines between them or one doing both jobs, etc., where the distinctions need to be drawn. If any, uh, we're going to be talking about a therapy live triathlon. So get you again, get your, uh, your tickets um Gemma's made a lovely point here are we too focused on kit and not enough on the patient absolutely but i'm not you're not but today 
I'm asking about kit just because it came up on Twitter. If someone was building something out, then um, yeah, you'd hope that the people we're talking to know that the kit is only uh, an accessory. But in case uh, in case they are wanting to to build out a clinic, and you know everyone's in that position, if they're setting up their own thing or they're contributing to the department or they've got some money, um, I think it'd be really interesting. Um, really interesting to, to find out what people's sort of take is on what the priority pieces of kit are these days. So the final thing I wanted to talk about last few minutes, um, so get your comments and questions in. Uh, if there's anything else you want me to visit, thanks a lot for your contributions today. Really appreciate it. A lot of them on Facebook, YouTube, not any through from Periscope today. They usually come through. So sometimes it's not working. Um, but last thing I wanted to mention is, especially in these weird times in and around COVID, there's been, um, it's been amazing to see some like actual leadership emerge, you know, properly emerge rather than just be talked about or some organizations that have really stepped up and some true experts have been able to then help shape practice, really support people. Now, there's the obvious ones, including former guest on this show and contributor, regular contributor. I hope you're still listening, Gemma. Did a phenomenal job, truly emergent leadership from Gemma, whereby she saw a need create a support group, namely in and around for private practice in the UK about how to deal with PPE policies, whether or not we should be open, that sort of stuff. It was just fantastic. And so that goes without saying, do check out Gemma's group if you haven't already. But what I was getting at here with regards to legacy organizations that have then been doing things um, differently, some have gone completely missing, um, whereby they uh, haven't been able to, to to do anything for whatever reason, or they've just not had a lot to say on it. You know, it just turned out that they just exist and they continued to just exist, and therefore they weren't necessarily going to be contributing much for them to their members or or broadly. Um, whereas there are others, and there's two that I want to mention um, that have really stepped up. One is the MSK Partners Network, which is a trade body uh, for the MSK industry, um, and they were. They created weekly calls for support for private practice owners and directors, as well as then trying to collaborate to try and get some PR to try and help the government to to change the schemes in which you can get grants and, and loans and funding. And there were so many cracks that we fell through as an industry and someone needed to advocate for it. And they just went into bat for us. And it was just incredible to see, you know, really top end professionals, experts in that space, not, not in a non-clinical sense really going into bat and to, to lead and lead quickly. Uh, that was fantastic. So if you haven't already and you're not a member, if you're a private practice owner or you have a department, then check out the MSK Partners Network and get involved in that. It's absolutely phenomenal what they're doing and they're making some adjustments now as to we move on to this sort of post-COVID landscape. It's They're going to be uh, ones to watch, so do check them out. Also, the, um, the, the what's it called? Per, uh, professional Network for Chartered Physios in Advanced Practice is called the APP. PN, is it? APPN. Oh, lots of P's. They did an event. Um, so I hadn't had my eye on them as close uh, as, as I'd like. Um, I'm a member of it, but I'd just you know, been distracted by various other things. And we weren't doing much in way of advanced practice, first contact practice type thinking around Therapy Live. We will be next year, by the way. There's a spoiler. But uh, they did an event about injection therapy because uh, steroid injections have known to, to drop your, your um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not immunity. Um, lost my words. But it makes you more vulnerable. And so in and around a, when COVID was taking off, then 
to dropped off doing injections. And so they were wading through that murky swamp as to what the indications are. They had some great experts, physios that were also physiologists and virologists and stuff, just phenomenal. And um, they really stepped up with a cracking event the other day. If you're a member of their organization, of which you should be, then definitely uh, I'll be posting the links on here afterwards to, to link you to them. They just did a phenomenal job. And it was, again, just an example of just actual actual experts really leaning into the science as well as the pragmatic application of it with some case studies just love what they love what they're doing and um, so if you haven't already then check out mskpn gems shared the uh, link here uh, because paul had uh, asked for it so thanks a lot guys for that uh, and also the appn um the advanced practice network for physiotherapists so just you know they, there's uh the work that they did, and I'm specific, specifically talking about this injection event that they did, but also then they did this, so they've, they've been doing some other great work and the resources that are on the back end of their website are really good and really sensible. Um, so you've got some great thinkers that are working in that space and, and being thoughtful about the interventions that we do delivering in, in advanced practice. So they were two that I wanted to flag. Please post your comments on here if you feel there are any other organizations that are worth a mention over the last six months, what they've been doing and how they've stepped up. Um, really be interested in that because there's bound to be ones that I've missed that are, that are worth a nod. Um, and uh, thank you all for tuning in. It's been another fun week on Chewing It Over. Uh, as I mentioned yesterday, we've been getting... Um, somewhere between 25 and 30 people watching live across the various different streams and then about a thousand people a day then tune in either usually later that evening or on their commute the following morning which is fun so really appreciate that it's been great it's been really fun to communicate with you all and you know more of you will be coming on the show no doubt in weeks to come we'll have more guests on we've got some great shows planned including jane ashbrook's joining me she's an expert especially in acute low back pain but also now in an education setting she's looking at some of the provisions in and around student placements so we'll be chewing it over with jane ashbrook at the very least next week but probably other guests too so thanks a lot i will be seeing you soon let's get you uh closing off with my fancy graphic again and once again please have it noted that i've kept to time all right then, take care. Have a lovely weekend. Bye-bye. Oh, that was a fail, wasn't it? <laughs> See you later.